0: Hello, and welcome to the Nickel Independent Film Podcast. I'm your host, Devin, and if you can't tell by the inflection of my voice, Halloween is just around the corner. Yes, folks, Halloween is coming up, which can only mean one thing. The return of the Nickel 48 hour horror challenge. Uh, it's one of our most popular events and for good reason. It's, uh, it's just fun, it's just a super fun challenge. We Every year I love going to the screening and seeing just the wild stuff people come up with. It's, it's unbelievable the things that people can make in such a short amount of time. Um, and if you've never made a film before, or if you have, or anyone really watching this, uh, I would really encourage you to sign up and give it a shot. I would pause this podcast right now. I'd head on over to the Facebook page for the Nickel Independent Film Festival. You can find a sign-up sheet there, and yeah, give it a give it a go because the the time crunch that you have I think really you know kicks your ass into gear and you make some 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 cool stuff. Uh, to inspire you, we have a collection of horror films made as part of the horror challenge in the past few years over at our eventive page, which is uh, watch.eventive.org forward slash Nickel Festival. And that was put together by Elizabeth Hicks, who has been working with us now at the Nickel for a few weeks and who is no stranger herself to the Horror Challenge. Uh, and to accompany it, we have a conversation between her and Mike Farty. Uh, uh, Mike Farty Fardy, is, uh, we have one of his old challenge films in the collection. And he is just one of the most talented and inventive filmmakers to come out of Newfoundland. I think I've known him for a few years, and I've always just known him to be the guy with the the, the best idea. You know, he's just so smart and funny, and I, I and, and such a, such a talented uh, filmmaker. So uh, I'm really excited to hear this conversation between Elizabeth and Mike. So without further ado, I'm going to get out of the way and hand it on over to Elizabeth with her conversation with Mike Vardy.
1: I wanted to talk to you because for a couple different reasons. Um, A lot of it is to do with your long history of being a participant in the Nichols 48-hour horror challenge, Um, but also because you've kind of got this like interdisciplinary career that from the outside looking in it seems like you just like slide between disciplines with ease. And so (laughs) I wanted to um, ask you some questions about that. And I figured you'd also be a good person to talk about um, starting out in film, making independent shorts, which I assume most of which had little to no budget, to then going on to make some bigger projects. And, you know, I'm curious about what you're up to now as well. Sure. Um, so I thought first, um, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your beginnings in filmmaking, because I know that, well, I think anyway, that you started your artistic career in improv. Um, so yeah, would you tell me a bit about where, when you started making films and maybe how that came out of your other art activities?
2: Yeah, yeah. So I, I did, I, I've been in improv since, uh, like grade seven. And I just like fell in love with it. I loved improv, I loved performing. Uh, and then, uh, so I, I did that for years and it was actually the, I had done a bit of film work in school for like school projects. Cause I found out if you made a video, you basically got a hundred on your projects.
1: I was in the same boat. I made music video or not even music videos like films for music class <laughs> because yeah. I wasn't good <laughs> at any of the music stuff. So I was like, I'll make a video.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I made I made a video for an English class once that started with the phrase, on the island of Portugal, uh, and got 100, and like that can't, you know, the first sentence is incorrect, and we, got 100.
1: You were talking about the Azores. Yeah,
2: <laughs> but it was, yeah, so I, I did that, but it was actually the first, the first time I knew I sort of wanted to get into film was with the Horror Challenge. Um, I think it was in 2012 was the first one that I did. Um, and I just like, just me and a couple of friends shot it. Uh, we actually wrote a script the, the first night that it started. And then we went to shoot it. And it was a fully outdoor script and it poured rain. So we couldn't do it. So we were like, oh, I guess we'll just do it next year. And we were sitting in the car with all of our gear, uh, just kind of down. And we just said like, well, let's just go inside and take tonight and write something new and then shoot it and edit it tomorrow and get it in and we like we so we shot we just made something really well it was supposed to be really simple it ended up being not as simple as it should have been um but we did it and we submitted it and that was just the the rush of it and like the plan going wrong and then basically improvising the whole thing the next day uh really got me hooked on the guerrilla filmmaking process uh and we like we had we had no idea what we were doing i I learned to edit uh for that project
1: at Uh, 2 p.m on sunday
2: yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) and all of that that started a long history of uh you know staying up all night editing for the horror challenge Um, because almost all the films that I made were for the horror challenge exclusively. I would just wait until next year.
1: Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Uh, That first one that you're talking about, was that Respect Your Eldritch?
2: Yes, yeah, it was.
1: I did a little bit of internet uh, creeping on you before this podcast, (laughs) and uh, (laughs) so I watched that film, and Am I right in saying that one won Best Film that year?
2: It did, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, much to our (laughs) surprise.
1: (laughs) Well, that's a great way to start out. Uh, You know, I'm sure that was an incentive to make another one again next year.
2: Yeah, it it was. Actually, at the time, too, um, there was a bit of a prize. Like, we got gear rental as part of the prize. Um, So, we used that in the next year. Uh, and I don't know if that's why they stopped doing the prize because it did give us an advantage next year to be able to like rent gear and stuff like that.
1: Do you have any other like favorite memories of things that are maybe funny now but weren't funny at the time?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A lot of it I find was funny at the time as well. (laughs) Uh, I like I I really did have a blast and I, I think like my favorite thing about the horror challenge is if you don't get it in you don't get it in and if you submit something like it's never going to be perfect. Everybody has forty-eight hours. You can't make a film in forty-eight hours. You can't. Uh, you can't. You know, sit down and be like, "I'm going to make something perfect for this." And and it just throws that excuse out the window of waiting for it to be perfect. You just have to finish it. Um, but I remember with the Spaghetti Massacre, uh, we did way like it was just too ambitious again, which was like, our biggest problem. We just would write and. No holds bar, just whatever, just keep it inside after the first year. It was always just keep it inside. Um, and we shot until i think we shot from like five p m to six or seven a m uh in our in our basement, and i did I had to do a bunch of foley the next day after having stayed up all night editing after having shot it, and we had to get some sound effects and stuff like that, so there's a scene where um, I get pulled out of a bedroom, and uh, Ryan Barber is, is the zombie in that film, and he tears my heart out and throws it on the floor. And so I had, but we didn't have any sound of that happening because it was all happening in the background while Matt was reacting. Um, so I had to, the next day, just set up my microphone by myself and then roll around in my hall screaming. Uh And I had to like, you know, crack celery and uh, I had to like punch a ham in front of the, like doing all the Foley work. I think it was the only time I've gotten to do that. And it was was so much fun. And my neighbors were a hundred percent home and could absolutely hear me. We had upstairs neighbors and our walls were like paper thin. uh, So they could just hear me like rolling and screaming.
1: And they're like, is that a guy slapping a ham?
2: Yeah, (laughs) it sounds like someone's slapping a ham downstairs.
1: Uh, that is hilarious. I watched, uh, Spaghetti Massacre this morning, uh, because I was talking to Elling, uh, about you. And he was saying that one of his, the images burned in his brain from past horror challenges is the spaghetti in a clear garbage bag. Yeah. And I hadn't actually seen that film, um, before. And I was like, okay, well, i definitely have to check that one out. And I actually noticed that that scene that you're talking about, um, where he's like ripping your heart out, and then he pulls up the spaghetti in his hand.
2: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it was it was some spaghetti, and it was a uh, a raw chicken breast, and we did a lot of work trying to make the raw chicken breast look like a heart, and it's all silhouetted, and you can't see a thing. Uh, it, It was it was horrible.
1: Yeah, I actually noted though. Uh, and I'm not just saying this because you were telling the story but I actually noted how good the sound was in that film Uh, (laughs) and uh, I guess it helps to having um, you know yourself being an actor as well and also having like your whole team able to be in the film and be behind the scenes at the same time when you're making one of these. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is that when you were putting together your team or like your group of friends to make these um, in past years. Is that something you were thinking about or was it more like these are the people I wanna do this with and we'll make it work?
2: Uh, It's almost always about like who is crazy enough to stay up all night and do this. Uh, And me and Matt for the spaghetti massacre, me and Matt had started living together. um, And when we were living together, we just worked on everything together. Um, so Matt was an in and Matt has always like Matt brings things up to another level because of the people he knows and he's just like at this level in his career and has always as long as I've known him has just been able to be like oh I I know someone who is insanely good at this who will just do it for free and just come over whenever so they got Adam Penny to come in and shoot uh, Spaghetti Massacre who also ended up DOPing moving on the short film that I did. I don't remember if it was before or after that, um, but he he came on and for some reason, like somebody who could just work full-time as a DOP in film just came in instead and <laughs> got mad at us for, you know, 12 hours at, uh, at making this dumb like gorilla short about running out of bowls.
1: Well, I think that that's sort of the magic of this horror challenge. And I don't know where it comes from, but people who generally are getting paid to do the thing are willing to do it for free and also stay up all night and torture themselves for an entire weekend. I, I don't really know why, but I'm kind of in the same boat as you, I think, where it was like for years, I was just like waiting for the next year and like would start planning it in term like, you know, putting together people who were willing to do it and that's the thing you just have to find someone and like if they've never done it before warn them like yeah. this is this is your weekend you're probably gonna regret signing up for this on yeah. saturday night
2: <laughs> <laughs> it really is and it's like uh, it's just the beauty of it it's it's so it's so weird because for the rest of the year like we prove every year when we make these things that we can make a short film over a weekend And for me, the rest of the year, I wouldn't. Like after the weekend, I'd be like, that was amazing. It was so much fun. I love what we made. And then for the rest of the year, I won't make another film. And I, I, but it's such good proof. Like all these people that sign up, all of them make a film. And it's something that for me before the challenges I thought was just so daunting and impossible. But, you know, I think the first couple of years it was 12 or 15 people signing up and I remember the the Rock House. I can't remember when it was, the Rock House a couple of years ago. There were yeah, so many I, films. That was
1: 2017, I think, unless it was at the Rock House more than once.
2: It might have been, I, I, I'm not sure. I haven't been able to be there in person in, in a few years, so.
1: Yeah, The um. I think that that year, 2017, that was the first year that I participated in, like the year before I was in, Um, somebody's film as an actor but then the next year that was the first year that I was like helping with the production of it I guess and yeah that the night of the screening it was like three hours long
2: yeah (laughs) it was crazy
1: but the energy was awesome uh yeah it's interesting um what you were saying a couple minutes ago about letting the worry about it being perfect uh Evaporate when you've got that short time limit, because I think that maybe this magic of the horror challenge that I'm talking about is mostly related to that, like you can you only have a certain amount of time, and so you can't spend time worrying or it won't get done yeah, uh and I find that that's something that I struggle with like as a writer, is I'll sit there looking at a blank page for weeks and weeks because it's not perfect yet. But how can you be perfect until you try, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah. And it's such a common piece of advice that I hear about writing all the time is that you have to get a first draft and it's going to be bad and you just have to be okay with that. And every time I sit down at a blank piece of paper, I get the same thing where I'm like, I don't have this idea fleshed out enough. Like I don't understand the idea well enough. I can't put this on the page because I haven't done enough work. It's not perfect yet, even though I haven't written a single thing. Uh, and it, it feels like no matter how many times I hear it, once I'm done, I feel great about having the first draft, and it is so much easier to edit, especially if you, like, I get forced away from scripts a lot, so I'll, I'll end up writing a first draft and then get bored and go do something else or uh, get busy and not be able to look at it, and then I'll come back, you know, two, three weeks later and you read it and you're like, what are you doing? What were you thinking? This is completely wrong. Obviously, you should have done this. And that's such a valuable thing to be able to do to critique your own work. But you, you, you just need to get it down and then get a bit of distance from it and then come back to it later.
1: Yeah, you're completely right. I think maybe the horror challenge might represent sort of that first draft stage like get it done and you will feel better about it and even if you know most people probably don't go back to their horror challenge shorts and be like I'm gonna edit it again and like shoot some more b-roll and like do some foley sound and really make this better but I think it's like that hump that you need to get over
2: Um, absolutely I I think the other thing too is even if you don't go back and like re-edit the same thing you'll watch or or, I, I always watch my films Uh, at the screening and usually never again (laughs) but uh, when I see it I'm like the mistakes are so glaring when you made your own thing to to other people and, and I know when I watch other people's films I mistakes don't stick out like people will come up to me afterwards and be like oh I can't believe we let this take be the one that we finished on and the camera move here was so out of focus and I don't notice those things with other people's films I do with my own and it's such a rare thing to write a first draft and then bring it all the way to a finished product. And seeing, like being able to hold your script and be like, this is what I wrote here and this is what it ended up looking like. is such a crazy experience that like a lot of writers never get to see, you know? Um, and I feel like there's such a learning process in that where it's like, okay, well, if I'm, if I'm trying to do this shot again, this time I'll put it on sticks or this time I'll make sure I have something to to stabilize Uh, or, you know, I'll I'll get closer. I'll leave less headroom. Like it it becomes a lot more, a lot easier to see when you're kind of out of the panic of making it and just sitting down and watching it.
1: Yeah. Are there things that you learned over your years doing the horror challenge uh, like tips or things that, you made sure that you did or that you didn't do? Um, I guess, like making sure everything was inside? <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, trying to shoot inside, I, I think, was, was a part of a bigger realization, which was just keep it simple, as simple as possible. And leave, uh, for me uh, now, I, th- and this is different for me because I never once made a horror movie. Uh, I always did comedies and it, I'm, I'm a terrible cheat for doing that uh, because comedy was my wheelhouse and I, uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to sign up this year and actually try to make a scary one, uh, which I've never no. done. No. <laughs> it won't end up being that because I'm, I'm a coward and I'll bail, but, um, but uh, for me, like, because I wanted to make them comedies, I think the best thing I could have done for myself is keep the plot out of it as much as possible. You only have five minutes, so you can't get that much plot in anyway. So leave yourself lots of room to get good dialogue in. Uh, pick your, you know, your one scene that you want to have a lot of action or a lot of blood or or gore in, and then build the rest of the film around that just to make it better. Like augment that that one scene because uh, that's really all all you get in a short film is is one really good scene, and everything else kind of just has to support it.
1: Right. Uh, you said that for uh, Respect Your Eldritch, that a lot of it was improvised. Uh, well, because you had to really think on your feet after your plan went out the window, I guess. Yeah. Um, is that something that, uh, did you improvise dialogue in your later challenge films?
2: Definitely. Yeah. Uh, we, I, I do, I, I, and I still do this. I always write the dialogue the way that I want it said. And I always make sure that we get at least one take of that dialogue the way that it's written. Um, But a lot of the people that I work with over and over again, I know through improv and I know that they are funnier than me. So it's not fair to anyone to not let them take a swing at it. Um, So even even in Matchstick, uh, I found it very hard to just do what was on the page. Uh, We, you know, you you still need to, you need to make your day, especially with something with a bit more of a budget, you, like, really do have to be aware of time. You have people around you um, who can keep you on time, but uh, it was very hard for me to not be like, do you just want to do something? Do you want to just, like, run in there and just do whatever you want, Um, which I I think stresses out the AD a bit, but... uh, (laughs) I love leaving the the option for because uh, actors know what they're doing a lot more than I do, so.
1: Yeah, I feel like that, um, urge to let people play must be, must come from your roots in improv, which is so much about let's see what happens if we're in this situation, maybe it'll be magic. Yeah, and in the case of a film, I guess, if it's not magic, then you use a different take.
2: <laughs> you just cut it. That, 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 that is why it's nice to have what's written, um, just in case it doesn't work. And yeah, I, I don't know how people do, like, I, I guess Judd Apatow, you know, gets these mostly improvised takes and manages to stitch them together into a movie. Uh, I, I think that takes a bit more directorial skill and a bit more vision of the the final thing than I have. But uh I I do I I do find you get at least one nugget that you're really happy with if you, if you do let people sort of experiment a bit if you have time to do it.
1: Right. And I think that it, it is what you're saying it it probably takes more time and money to be able to l- let all that improvisation happen in a like on a professional f- film set where where you do have such limits on your time. So Judd Apatow probably has some advantages in that department as well.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think there's some, uh, <laughs> it would be nice to get to the point where someone's just going to continuously give you money to do, you know, close down Times Square and do 90 takes of, you know, snorting coke off somebody's body. The dream. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, related to that, I'm wondering about uh, the process of making Matchstick or maybe more so getting Matchstick made in the first place because I I read in an interview that you did a few years ago um, that you were working on Matchstick for almost three years before it actually uh, went to camera. And um, and I also saw that you said that here's a quote from you from years ago, uh, oh. coming from the low budget comedy world match stick is presenting almost exclusively challenges for me. So, uh, I was wondering if you could talk about that a bit.
2: Uh, yeah, I, I started matchstick because, uh, I get sleep paralysis. Um, so if I sleep on my back, I get the old hag. Um,
1: yeah, I think I actually remember you telling me about that once before.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, and, and the, actually Ross Moore was, um, He was originally the producer of Matchstick and we worked on it a lot together in its early drafts. Um, And he also gets like really, really bad sleep terrors. So we were trying to make this horror movie and it was supposed to be like a straight up horror movie uh, about, kind of about the old hag. Um, Mm -hmm. And I had one very vivid dream once that I saw somebody right outside my bedroom door and I was locked kind of watching them. I couldn't move or anything, and I I could see them outside, and I could just see their eye, and I could see them panting like an animal uh, outside the door, and it was the most terrifying experience of my life. And I was trying to convert that feeling into a film, so I wrote Matchstick, and then made it way too complicated, Uh, and through that, it became this sort of psychological like, sort of a psychological thriller, psychological drama, um, that it ended up being. Uh, but, I, I, like, the big challenges for it were, like, it was about, it was about mental illness, and it was about my, sort of, general distrust of the healthcare, of the healthcare professionals. Um, I've, I've had some trouble with the healthcare system in the past, and I, I think that kind of manifested itself in the film, and then, because I think because I had never really made a drama before, everything that had ever been drama that had gotten thrown out for comedy's sake in the years just poured out into this script, and it just became way, way too much um, to be, like, one idea. So I, I did find it really difficult to... And, and the, the Picture Star program is has a lot of... Um, they give you a lot of help trying to like condense your ideas a little bit. Um, so they worked with me a lot on condensing and condensing and condensing, like, what is this really about? Um, and it just became about this this woman' struggle of the internal two people, like, do you let this part of your mind take over and do the hard stuff for you, uh, even though it might make mistakes, or like do you uh, try to just like? tough it out and keep living in this rut and there's no like easy answer for what should be done Uh, but I I found what kept happening is I kept taking little tiny steps away from where I started and then by the time we were shooting it was a completely different movie than how it had started the horror was gone the scene that I had written the entire thing around isn't in the movie Uh, it just didn't it didn't make it so I, I think that was the big thing is there's like a lot of pressure when there's a budget um, and there's a lot of people who are depending on you to make all these calls over and over again. And I'm a people pleaser. So when someone tells me to change something, I change it. Uh, and I changed. So I just continuously changed things over and over again and just got a fully new project by the end of it. Um, so it was, it was challenging and I'm, I like what we got out of it, and I still want to make Matchstick (laughs) as it was before.
1: Right. Well, that's what I was just going to ask you, is that uh, journey away from what it was in the beginning, do you feel like that's the way that it had to go um, for you in that time in your life or in that Um, place in your career? Or do you wish that you had have held on to that nugget a bit more?
2: Uh, Like there, there are times that I'm like, oh, I should have fought harder. But I honestly don't know. I don't know if it would have turned out at all. Um, And I think the thing was that I had never had sort of a middle ground of film. I had made things that had no money. And then this thing that had so much money and we had a full crew and now like I've got a cam operator in the room with me and I've got, you know, a, a DOP. There's a dedicated focus puller. There's people who, if I say I want a room to look like this, they will make it look like that. And they did such incredible work the entire time that like, I am super glad to have gotten to work with all of those people and to make the thing that we made. Um, and I don't, so, like, I, I don't have any regrets about it. Uh, I, I don't think I did the best I could have done, but I'm so happy that I did it and that I got that experience of getting to work with, like, a full actual crew of, of professionals when, like, I'm sort of used to it just being a bunch of friends and we're all just kind of goofing around the whole day And then all of a sudden I am the least experienced person in the room who has to make every decision. (laughs) And it's like, it's, it's wild. It's a wild experience.
1: Well, yes. And and hearing you say, you know, that you've got this people pleaser sort of personality, having all those people turning to you for the answer, uh, must be an overwhelming experience. Um, I was going to ask you about, uh, you know, the transition from, um, no budget to this, higher budget situation and it sounds like it was very
2: <laughs> yeah it was just, it was a straight cliff up it was crazy it was just like i mean yeah the budget went like this but i felt like it was the other way that i was falling off of a cliff into just the abyss
1: uh how did you dis- or i guess why did you decide to apply for the picture start program in the first place
2: uh i applied i applied to picture start actually before i did a first-time film, um, because I didn't know what it was. And myself and Mike Fian um, went in, I can't remember what we pitched, uh, but we wanted to do a, oh yeah, it was a, it was a horror movie about a person who talks to movies, says like, don't go in there, but then the character hears them um, and doesn't go in there and how that changes the whole movie when a, a character is making the right decision in, in a horror movie to stay alive. Um and we went in and they asked us all these questions, like what's your budget? Uh, what is the artistic vision for all of this? And we were like, I don't know. Like we I have a script, like this is what this is what it's gonna look like. And they were like, Oh, you should, you should not, you should not do this. And they were totally right. We would have been way in over our heads. Uh but it became a goal from then on. Uh, and I did first-time film that year instead. Uh, and we made moving on. And then I think I applied five years in a row before getting Matchstick. And I applied with comedies every time and didn't get it. And then after, after we won the short film Face Off, me and Ross applied again and ended up getting it. And then Ross moved to Calgary uh, and Mike Hickey stepped in. Um, But yeah, it's just I'm I'm for me like my entire career I think is just a war of attrition, and we are just two castles. There's the industry, and then there's you know the the artist, and you are just shooting cannonballs over their wall, and they're throwing them back at you uh, until one stays, and you just have to wear them down. (laughs) I think is that's my 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 experience has just been wear them down, and they will eventually. Be like oh it's that guy and he's been here for years maybe he can do something uh, so I well, think I think that's how matchstick ended up getting made is one of the cannonballs stayed in there uh,
1: I think that that's really good advice and I think you hear that from a lot of people who have found success in any discipline of art it's you know it's often about um, the timing and so you can't give up because you know maybe you really deserved it, and maybe your product is really great, but it just wasn't the right time. And so you know, apply over and over and over again, and maybe hopefully, yeah, they'll be like, "That guy's been here. <laughs> it's yeah. time."
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's like it's a, uh, it is hard. Like it's hard to hear no every day, and you, you get a hundred no's for every yes, and that is tough. And I mean, for me too, like I've been lucky and I've been able to, you know, hold down a job that keeps me comfortable enough in the meantime. Uh, I've, you know, I, I've, I haven't i have had to struggle too hard for my, you know, a place to live and a, enough money to get by and everything like that. And that gave me the opportunity to be able to continue doing that. And that's not a given, you know, not everybody can do that. Um, but it is like, so, like, I can't speak to for everybody's experience for it and, like, what the actual solution to any of it is. I wish I knew, like, a quick way, but even after all this time, every single time I make something, the next thing never becomes easier to make. It, it still feels like I'm just blindly throwing things at people just to see if anything sticks.
1: I was really hoping you were going to have all the answers, but
2: (laughs) (laughs) I have zero answers. I have no idea what I'm doing.
1: Uh, We're just about running out of time here, but I guess the other thing that I wanted to ask you was if you had any thoughts about how to find your people, like your collaborators and keep them and, and, Because I think, you know, you, you just, you know, looking at your um, artistic career, you know, you've got certain people that you work with a lot. And I was, yeah, just wondering if you have any thoughts on that. I've been thinking a lot about um, collaborating and artistic collaboration recently, because it's really hard when Um, you're trying to make things with your friends um, and there's no money to go around and then maybe all of a sudden there is a little bit of money and then you know who's in charge and uh, any thoughts about that is that's hardly a question (laughs) I
2: yeah I I totally know what you're saying though it's um I, I I think it's like a lot of like a lot of things I think it's communication like and I think you said earlier too, like warn them off the bat like this is it's pretty brutal um and I think following that up with if at any point you feel burned out or that it's too tough it's just a movie I think in the end is part of it is is like it's just a it's just a movie and if we don't get it in everything we've shot doesn't go out the window you know, if we like it, and we don't get it in for the deadline, then the footage is there forever, for better or worse. Um, it's, it's always there. So uh, I know that the people that I've worked with, uh, we generally keep like a small crew, because all of us are like, okay with, you know, once a year staying up until six or seven in the morning to get something done. Um, but really, like laying out what people are comfortable with. And if you don't, if you don't push so hard that people start burning out, I think they're more likely to come back, especially people that you don't know as well. If you bring somebody in for the first time and they come in and they leave being like, that was a nightmare, like I'm starving, I'm tired, uh, I was treated terribly the whole time, like they're never gonna work with you again. So being kind and getting everyone's expectations off the top and trying as hard as you can to, to fulfill that and just remembering the whole time that it is, it's just a movie like we're not nobody's lives are at stake uh for for making this like we should it it's a, we started doing this because it's fun we should continue having fun while doing it um and get pizza and coffee and <laughs> I think people will come back
1: I think that's excellent advice sometimes it's easy to let the stakes of the thing uh seem higher than they actually are and yeah that's what I always tell people to who uh, you know in the past couple of years I've had a few people you know ask me for tips or like you you know new people that I'm working with for the first time it's like eat food yeah (laughs) if you don't get to sleep you have to eat food
2: (laughs) yeah (laughs) eat food sit down when you can uh, like a- anytime you have an opportunity to sit down, take it, take a, take a good, good sit, um, because it, it's, yeah, I, I mean, the farther you go into film, the less you're allowed to sit and eat and sleep. Uh, so if you're just making it for yourself for fun, then, uh, don't, you know, don't wreck yourself.
1: Eat food, sit down, have fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's an easy equation. It could be
2: a t-shirt. <laughs>
1: Uh, well, thank you so much, Mike. It was really great to talk to you, and I hope that anyone who's watching or, or listening to our conversation and is planning on making a horror challenge film this year or any sort of film with their friends uh, found this helpful. I feel like I learned a few things from it today, so thank
2: you very much. Thanks for having me. This was great. And yeah, definitely make, make your films. <laughs>
0: Really appreciate, uh, I want to thank Elizabeth and Mike again for uh, sharing this conversation with us today. And yeah, we'll see you again in a couple weeks for another episode of The Nickel Independent Film Podcast. And I won't be doing that voice uh, anymore. Thanks, everybody.